sometimes it's this, and you said it today, that it's not a book about gun control. There is something very specific about guns. There's stories about guns just going off. There's obviously deliberate guns. There's stories which you can't solve because we don't know what the motivation was. Mm. But these machines shoot very fast and they're very, very dead. The story, for example, that Camilla tells to mm. cover up, which is that he was shot through the window from mm. downstairs, wasn't that kind of unbelievable no. within, within this story? That yeah. That... yeah, I mean, that's the thing about, you know, the NRA of this thing, you know, it's not guns that kill people, it's people kill people, which I just do find it oddly tautologist. Like, it's not toasters that make toast, it's people that make toast. It's like, okay, but then what, what toasters... That's what they exist for, to make toast. And you need people to make them work. But that guns kill people, that's what they exist for. And they, they are more efficient at doing that than, almost, than anything else that's commercially available. Of course, if you could buy a cannon, that would be more lethal. But, you know, you, don't, you can't go into Walmart and buy a cannon or a drone, but you can buy a gun. And so, on the day of Newtown... Uh, a uh, mentally ill Chinese man goes into primary school, but he doesn't with a knife. But he doesn't kill anyone. Mm. So, in nearly all of these cases, it's the presence of the gun that shifts it from a very bad idea or a very bad person or a very dangerous situation to a deadly one. Mm. Um, in you know, from which there's no going back from, and so that moment, which I can totally imagine, with Edwin and Camilla, the clips out. She thinks it's empty, doesn't realise there's one in the chamber. Bang, and then there's that's it. There's no going back. He's dying. Her life has changed, and yeah. there's no. It's irreversible. Yeah, I think you see because it's a gun. But obviously, your emotional weight is with, is with the the victim, and then with the families who mm. then have to pick up, or in, or in some a lot of cases, don't pick up mm. their lives. And, and and it was very hard to read actually that when you yeah. revisit um, grieving mothers and, and and fathers to find that they've either made tiny sort of amounts of progress, but often not. Very much, but it's also the side of the perpetrator. So Danny, mm. um, the kind of despairing middle-aged man, um, and more often younger, sort of impulsive yeah. men, f- full of rage, um, alienated, unable to, to make their way, or, or for whatever reason, if you put a gun in their hand, you know. Um, well, yeah, it's just kind of there's this huge pile of tinder that most countries have, to a greater or lesser extent, usually a lesser extent, but. Segregation, inequality, poverty, mental health—you know—crises. America's not alone in having mm. that. But then, onto that huge pile of tinder, you put a lethal weapon. Mm. That was the thing that most. Where I lived in Chicago, there was. My mum was a mental health nurse. I say, you know, at the beginning, and th- there are. Relatives in my extended family had mental health problems, so and there was a mental health place at the end of the road, uh, of our road, and that was the thing that I, that was the thing that I feared most. Not the mentally ill people, but living in a country with guns, 
a fragile mind can do a you know can can do can do an awful lot of damage. And the truth is that you know, when I went to the NRA, I went to two NRA conventions, one for the Guardian a few years earlier, and then this one in Indianapolis. And um, you say to people, uh, I, would, I would invoke my Britishness and say, oh, I don't get it, you know, this gun thing. What? What's, you know, talk me through it. Well, why, why would I want a gun? And to a person, they would kind of, they would, in a naked appeal to masculinity and homesteading, they would say, are you married? I'd say, yeah. Do you have children? And then they would paint this immediate dystopian violent. Someone breaks into your house. They're going to rape your wife. They're going to kill your children. What are you? What? Are you, what? Are you going to wait for the cops to come? You know, wait for the police? Are you going to? You know, it's an anti-government message, and a, you know, it's all there's. There's a whole world in there. And I'm thinking, yeah, but most people, most people who die from guns in America, first of all, kill themselves. That's, they're mostly suicides but enough that you're most likely to be killed by someone you know mm. so actually what they should be saying is are you married? yes well watch out because your wife is the person <laughs> most likely to kill you in your life you know you really you know, don't want her anywhere near a gun you're more likely to be killed by a gun if you have a gun in the house yeah. that like anyway none of, these, none of these things matter if you're working off this ancient script of the constitution basically to understand from that point outside uh, the attraction of, of guns whether for the for, for those young guys or just for those kids in that room fooling fooling about I mean yeah. I go into these places like this place called Gander Mountain which is a sports big yeah. sports emporium in the States and there's sort of hilarious pictures of me stood in front of all these guns and mm. I got in trouble one year when I just turned and said I can't I can't get my it's just insane and turned around and there's the guy that worked there just giving me the oh wow um, and it was just my stupid and my wife smacked me across the head. But, uh, <laughs> well, I think um, I don't want to go on about guns, by the way. Sorry, this no, isn't no. Me. But it's kids. I kind of get why I've got a boy. He likes lightsabers and guns and swords, and right. you know, I mean, he has all sorts of swords, you know, and. Medieval gear, and you know, we used to do a lot of sword fighting in mm. the house. And I guess if I had been a parent in the 19th century, I'd have been like, no swords in the house, you know, those are really dangerous weapons. And you know, I guess 18th century, more like. Uh. Um, but because there ain't nobody running around with swords, you know, you know, killing people, it's a, it's a different thing. But that. My son, we, we don't allow guns in the house. Right. Basically, you know, um, toy guns. All that means is that he goes to friends' houses that, you know, have toy guns. But the notion of kind of uh, rough and tumble and a kind of adversarial play mm. kind of works quite well with the notion of a toy gun. Mm-hmm. And I think in a child's mind, and here I'm thinking about Brandon in particular... But even Edwin, who's a bit of a ninny, he's a sweet kid, but mm. he's a bit silly. That shift from this is a toy to this is a weapon is quite a hard shift to make. 
the notion for a child or a teenager that like there is something that you can do that you will never recover from that this is fake that you can kill this is fatal is a kind of I think you know pretty much everything that they fuck up they can get out of and so um, it's a hard concept for them that this is not a toy this is a gun this is a weapon and this can do something very very serious like kill I think that, like, you know, they struggle to get their head around it. And the impact for them to, I mean, Camilla clearly yeah, her no, she went off the cliff. Just, and so sad, because I, I spoke, she was the one shooter that I spoke to, and I was really impressed by her. I think she was a really smart, emotionally intelligent kind of young woman struggling to come to terms with this and failing. And one of the other things, none of these kids get counselling... You know, these kids who see their brothers die or, um, uh, yeah, witnessed a whole load of shit and get counselling, that she's done this thing. And, I mean, she's in... Last I saw, she was in jail. She might be out now. But that, you know, one of her teachers says she was going to be the one. She was going to be the one that broke out of this cycle. She was working hard at school. She was kind of pulling down good grades. She wanted to be a pharmacist. And, you know, when she says, you know, uh, I wish it had been me because Edwin's dead, but I'm still here and I have to live with this shit and I have to know that people are looking at me and they're looking at me for a kind of reason and um, I just kind of don't really want to be here anymore. I thought about taking my own life. She kind of upgrades or downgrades with the drugs that she's taking. She's basically self-medicating. It's, um, yeah, I mean... Edwin's dead and her life is I'm not going to say her life is over but it's going to be a long haul to draw yourself out of that and it's the same thing with Brandon you know he's killed someone and he's utterly changed the shape of his life forever I think you use the word path a lot and the sense is that actually for most of the kids it's not that their life has been changed but there's a kind of journey that they're on mm. um, and I confess that you know for a white middle class fairly well off you know English person mm. grappling in in London now Oxford and I did find it di- I found that a diff- difficult and I think it's one of the things that this book got me to understand to some extent from you know sitting mm. in a room how much of a shock was that say when you for you going to to, to invest and or you know whether having spent time in the states and and, and reporting from from these sorts of stories um, well the, the really big one of the really big challenges i found was not denying personal responsibility you know look <clears throat> not everyone is poor and black shoes people and um they have choices. You know, they do it. Stanley could listen to his mum and not go out in the corner, or he can go out in the corner. Justin could not hang out with those dudes on Slocum Street uh, and kind of figure out how to graduate, or he can do what he did. There are, there are personal choices, and then there are uh, responsibility. And then... I try and say it's this collective responsibility. Right. It's kind of as a society what we're on. And I I guess 
my impulse as someone who grew up in this country, black and working class, and who has a had a path that wasn't necessarily kind of obvious for me. <clears throat> Not that my life was anything like the lives of a lot of the kids in here, but that I grew up in Stevenage, where at the time BAE was the main employer. Kind of that was what you did. Most of my friends uh, or the people from my school were going to leave school at 16 and get an apprenticeship. And um, the notion of going to university was a bit odd. You know, it was like, well, why? I remember a friend's brother sort of sitting me down and saying, look, how long? You know, two years, sixth form, three years, that's five years. Within five years, you could have this skilled job. You'd be earning this, 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 this. That would add up to about, I don't know, at that time, be about £90,000. And he said, that's not even with overtime, you know. So what are you doing? Mm. So then the notion that, you're, that you might swim against that tide and do something else is not kind of foreign to me as, like, being... That the people who are swimming that tide... They're not stupid, they're not crazy, mm. but of the, or passive, but, you know, I think, well, this is the range of things I might do. I don't know anyone who's been in university, <laughs> actually. It doesn't seem like a thing that I might do, so I'll do this. And, the, um, and, and a different way to kind of understand it, I think, for people who aren't in that situation is when have you really swum against the tide of the folk that, you, you know, you're born into and so you know for a lot of these kids I think yeah if you grow up on the south side of Chicago or you know a certain bit of Dallas or Houston it would take an enormous feat of imagination to think you know what I think I'm going to live in the suburbs and get a kind of um, skilled job that's what I'm going to do. And this is how I'm going to do it. You would, you know, the kind of, you know, our brain has these neuron paths and you would have to clear an awful lot of ground in order to kind of get there. And particularly you're a teenager and this is what I try and pursue in Justin's mm. uh, chapter. You know, George Bush is asked, you know, about taking coke and drinking. He says, when I was young and irresponsible, I was young and irresponsible. David um, Cameron, he's in a Bullington club. They go, they get wrecked, they trash a restaurant, they pay in cash. Sometimes they, you know, spend a night in the cell, sometimes they don't. <clears throat> young people are kind of wired to be boisterous, take risks, and so on. But these kids just don't have the margins to kind of do that. The margin mm. of error is kind of death or jail. That, And then a sense of opprobrium societally, which is kind of, well, you had it coming. Mm. And that doesn't excuse the stupid stuff that they does, but it just locates it in a kind of like, well, what were you doing when you were 17? You know, what risks did you take when you were 17? And um, what do you think the consequences of those risks were? And I think most people who are teenagers, at some stage, were grateful for the generosity of 
their parents, their school, their kind of supporting environment to say, you know, well, don't, don't do that. That's a real, you, you know, you're grounded. It was serious. Please don't do that again. Mm. And to have a chance to take stock. These kids just don't have that option. <laughs>